welcome to the Other Six Podcast, where we will discuss what it looks like to follow Jesus the other six days of the week. We'll discuss life, food, the recent sermon series of the North Liberty Church of Christ in North Liberty, Indiana. On the podcast with me today is Ben. Hey guys. And filling in for Patrick, we've got Chris Fleck. Hello, everyone. Chris, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad I included everyone in my greeting. Yeah, yeah, you did. <laughs> uh, ben, you didn't even address I didn't any single try. anyone didn't group out this week. Else. I'm just happy to be here. Yeah, good. Well, <laughs> no matter who you are, I hope you feel welcomed by all of us. Thank you for listening. We've got a great episode. Uh, later on, we are going to talk about a, a big word that we're going to try to simplify. The, the phrase is principles of interpretation, which is kind of scary. But what we're actually going to talk about is uh, how you can read the Bible and how you can best interpret the Bible, specifically the other six days of the week when you're not in church services, been relying on other people, but how you can read the Bible on your own for spiritual growth. So look forward to our conversation with that. But before we get to there, uh, Ben, you were telling me uh, about something that really ticks you off uh, when it comes to driving. So I've had this frustration for years. When I I can remember even like in driving school when I was like 15 and learning how to drive and everything else, I can remember going nuts whenever I would pull up to a stop sign and you have like the stop sign and you have the white stripe out in the road and that's where you're supposed to stop. And like legally, that's mm. the rule. Mm-hmm. Mm. And... And if, I'm thinking like at least 75% of the time when I come to those stops, where it is located, where the sign and the placement of the stripe in the road does not allow me to visibly be able to see left and right of whether or not I can you go. You think 75% of the time? You think, I feel like it's that frequent. Do you think it's 75% of intersections or 75% of the intersections that you drive through? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I don't know. Yes. Driving is something that we do mostly every day. Most of us drive um, pretty frequently, and uh, there's a lot of things. I mean, road rage is real. There's a lot of things in driving that can be done. So I thought we'd come back for a second installment of Let's Fix It, and we're going to fix driving. So the first thing, Ben, that you said with stop signs, you would fix driving by fixing placement of stop signs. Is that what it is? I think I would just... uh, The stop sign is one thing, because sometimes it has to be where it's located. Mm -hmm. I get that. But I would put the stripes in the place where cars should actually stop at. I think that's Mm -hmm. an easy fix, because you're just driving over anyways. Put it where it's supposed to be. And maybe even... Here's my idea. Let's install some of those like 360 mirrors in some of those intersections, so you can see around the corners, maybe? Is that a good idea? It works in the south. What? Not up here when it's going to freeze over and Uh, frost and snow, and you got to go out and Brush your satellite off in the winter time. Do you want to mess with that? No. Has to be heated. Heated digital mirror. Solar. <laughs> I'm not paying better. for it. Go for it. Whatever. All right, yeah. Yeah. If only we knew someone on the town board, uh, the city board for North Liberty, that can make any changes to our, our structure. Have to, have to do Don't some name names. On that one. Don't name names. <laughs> yeah. um, so I came up with a short list of things that I would, I think, I think would be great ways to fix driving. Uh, here's one. Minimum speed limits. Please. Uh, it's a thing everywhere. on the highway. It needs to be a thing on every road everywhere. Yes. Um, and it needs to be probably at at least 10 miles per hour under the speed limit, preferably maybe five. Also, you're saying it has to be in that tight window. Like the speed limit here is 30. You have to go 25 to 35. It depends on the road. 
If it's a road that's not, you can't easily pass someone on. Yeah, it's got to be a tight window. You got to keep traffic moving. Yeah, I, I think in, in your highly densely populated areas, kind of like driving through North Liberty, it's 25. It can't be 15 there. You don't want people driving 15, but 20, still too slow. Like if I had an opportunity to pass you in town, I would, but <laughs> not safe, of well, course. Hey, I live on 23. People pass each other all the time, <laughs> way more than I think you probably realize. It's but, fairly frequent. But on State Road 23 going out of town. if there was a minimum speed limit, maybe you wouldn't need to. Might not. You think you think the police department's pulling people over for going under the speed limit? No. I think they should. Well, yeah. It's tough. It's a mental health also, issue in America. Road rage is real. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think also we're a rural community. And so within town is one Combines. thing. But outside with all the farming equipment, different times of the year, some of that mm. stuff is going to be impossible. to. I never had the pleasure expect. of experiencing driving behind a combine until... I lived in North Liberty. Is the combine the one that you're pretty sure you can drive under? That's something. That's a sprayer. That's a haggy that's sprayer. Yeah. I remember doing a loan I'm, for one a long time ago, <laughs> and that was the name of it. Okay, I had right. no idea what I was there doing. But, I can't be uh, the only one who just really wants to drive under one. Uh, every time. time I see one, yeah. I wish I had. You guys have the, the car to do it. Yeah. I, I think I could fit. Yeah, totally. I, I can't, but I always wish I was in a car like yours <laughs> to try it and go do for you, it. Do we know anyone with a sprayer? Like, we got to set that up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah like, there's a list. People. Absolutely. I, I need to set that up. So, like, hey, you turn on 23. I'll come right behind you. If you're listening and you have a haggy sprayer, please reach out. Info at NorthLiberty.cc. Spell haggy for me. H-A-G-G-I-E. I'll even do it on my bike. I think that'd be almost as fun. That would be fun. I think Haggy's like a brand name. I'm sorry. Like John Deere. Not a sponsor. I don't know. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, here's, here's another one I got, how to fix driving. This one's a little bit um, a little bit different than just driving, but I think, and this is happening, I think we need to normalize digital driver's license. This is happening in a couple states Given. already, but listen. It is stupid that I have to carry around my... I wouldn't have to carry my wallet around if mm-hmm. I didn't have to carry around my driver's license because I can pay on my phone. I can do everything on my phone except prove who I am for some reason. So you do have a digital driver's license. Huh? If it's programmed into the digital memory of your head because <laughs> Wait, if, you, if you memorize <laughs> your driver's license number... And you get pulled over, you can rattle off your driver's license number. They'll write it down. They'll go check your stuff. And as, as long as it checks out, you're good. No way. Happened to me. So and if it I worked had a out picture just fine. of my driver's license? I don't know about a picture. Well, it's got the number. I mean, on. yeah, it would make no. way more sense if you had a picture. But if you're like today, I ran to Subway to get my lunch reluctantly and uh, <laughs> drove back. Not totally. <laughs> no, not a sponsor. Oh, our listeners know that we are not sponsoring. <laughs> We're not by anybody. Sponsored by I do appreciate Subway being here in town. Yeah. It's very It's great. very convenient. Yes. Anyway, um, I totally forgot my, uh, my wallet back in my office. So not only did I drive down there without it, I was in my in-law's car and I did a U-turn downtown to head back to my office. And I was, if I got pulled over right now, I would be... Ended up to here, yeah. but so if there are I would cops, at least know my driver's license number. There you go, and then you, go so look you it do up. Have it memorized. Somehow, I can't tell you how or when, but I did. If there are any police officers listening, uh, that was an admission by Chris. Oh, <laughs> Church of Christ. State Please Road send all tickets to. <laughs> oh no, what have I done, Christina? Christina never takes her stuff with her. Like she'll just grab her keys and jump in the car and go, and she won't take her license. She won't take anything wow. with her. And I'm like, how do you live like that? It's, it's so reckless, dice. right? Yeah. But she she has made a claim to me, and I've never done the 
effort to find out how legitimate this is, but she claims that if you get pulled over without a license, you have 24 hours to prove you have one and you wouldn't get a ticket. So even then, like if you got caught off guard and you don't have it, you're not going to get a ticket for not for driving without a license as long as you actually do have one and can prove I'm, it. I'm honestly in disbelief that I I thought that it was universally known that you just had to have your license with you. That's no the world I'm living in, and that's why I keep looking at my wife like, you're I, insane. There's no way this is a real rule. Here's the other thing, though. The other time that I always need my license is at the movie theater because I have that A-list, and they have to confirm that I am, I'm the same person that's on my account. Uh, since it's mm-hmm. like the move, like I get unlimited movies kind of. Wow. And they have to check your ID to get in. And I don't think, I mean, maybe they would take a picture. It depends on who's Is working. there like an excise police for movie theater patrons? A what? Excise police that are checking IDs for alcohol and stuff? I don't think so. No, I just can't believe they're checking your ID. Like it's that serious. Well, he's saying, but well, it's for his membership thing. Yeah, it's for our, the member because I pay a monthly fee to see okay. unlimited movies. Sure, they want to make sure I'm not giving you, Chris, ticket my unlimited oh. tickets so that we're sharing. It's probably been three years since I've been to the movies. Really? If I'm being honest, yeah, and it's been uh, a long time for me too. Sorry, I just a little out of touch. It's been about three days. Back when, me. back when we were kids, <laughs> they only checked the ID to see if you were old enough to get into <laughs> to the rated movie. R movie. Yeah. yeah and, and, and then you then say you're going to see Finding Nemo, <laughs> and instead you go see yeah. a Blair Witch Project. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, I got something. one more. Got one more way that we can fix driving. This is specific to the state of Indiana. Uh, you guys We've talked about this. Before. You guys know what I'm going to say here because this is something that did not exist in Missouri. It's called by me, <laughs> but it, I feel like it should be known by everyone. <laughs> The Indiana turn. I do not know what it is that you speak of. You don't of. know what the Indiana turn I've is. I've probably All done right. it. We've had this conversation, and ever since you've brought it to my attention, I am like all on board with the removal of the Indiana turn. And like, I'm ready to, like, I can't wait to throw down on this. I'm ready for it. All personally. right. So here's Please. what the Indiana turn is the Indiana turn is, for some reason, people in this state, <laughs> no matter where they are turning, off of a street, uh, like off of a main highway, off of anything, they must come to a complete stop. <laughs> And then turn at the speed of molasses every single time. So if you're turning off of 23. People in the state make right-handed turns as slow right, as they come possible. To a, they do make them slow. They come to a complete stop before turning right off of the street. Yeah. You don't need to do that. <laughs> from somebody from somebody if who has. not know we uh, accidentally let a goat into the uh, studio here. Let me just get rid of that real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, my, my hesitation is in that I have a nine-year-old and 11-year-old, and they ride their bikes around town. And I always mm-hmm. tell them when you cross the road, even if there's, if you don't see a car coming, you still need to double check because people like me who don't do an Indiana turn, I fly through the sh- chicane and uh, make my turn at 100 miles an hour. Um, but if there's somebody riding their bike on that road and they go to cross and they're not looking for me and I'm not looking for them, it's disaster. So, I, would, I would fully agree in that if I ever see someone come into a stop like that to make a simple right-handed turn and there's bikes or pedestrians or goats <laughs> present, <laughs> like, yes, I'm all on board. Take your time. But... That's not what we're talking about. Okay. We're talking about okay. people. If it's wide open, then yeah. 50, 55 mile an hour speed limit. Five and you're coming down to three miles an hour to make this turn into your driveway <laughs> where no one's ridden a bike by in years. <laughs> so I think you can probably take a little bit more speed getting yeah. in there. I, but I, I mean, I see it happen. If, if you're stopped at a stoplight, which you should be, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But still, the acceleration of being stopped 
into a turn for some reason in Indiana is way slower than any other state that I've ever driven in. Yeah, it is approaching winter season where that does require a little bit more. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's just we're we're just used to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's my other one. Uh, from Texas, all of our highways have shoulders, so like there's there's wider roadways. It's not just like in Indiana, you have a two lane road, and it's like if you go past the the side stripe, you're in the grass. Okay, we have shoulders. And in Texas, they do this thing where if someone comes up behind you and they're going faster than you, you you don't decelerate or slow down, but you pull over into the shoulder mm-hmm. to give them space to get around you. Wow. Okay? It's a beautiful thing. Mm. And I don't experience it anywhere else in the world except yeah. for in Texas. I drove in Texas a couple of years ago, and it wasn't exactly that. It was it was a two-lane road, um, like, uh, you know, one way in each direction, and then every... Like it, it would have two lanes on going one direction for a while, and then that would shift over and have two lanes going the other direction as a while. And like basically, it's a creating a passing lane for those mm-hmm. periods of time. I thought that was brilliant mm-hmm. and amazing, and it worked flawlessly. Yeah, the one of the things that I'm trying to get caught on in Indiana is because since they don't have those shoulders, if I'm on 23 and I'm making a left-handed turn. I pull into the oncoming lane to make that turn. If there's nobody so coming, that, yeah. If there's people yeah. behind me and there's nobody coming, I'm getting out of the way so they don't have to decelerate at all, at all. Yep. to get by me because I'm getting out of their way. Could we please all agree to do that? I, I mean, that's if there's okay. traffic coming, absolutely yeah. understand. We got to slow down and take our time. But if you look out and there's no one coming, just mm. pull. I do it in front of the church here all the time. As I get from my house to work here, if there's no traffic coming on, I pull over in the left lane. To pull into the church every Same. single time. Yep. I do not do that, but maybe I will start. It's Although I also don't take Indiana turns, so I don't think the people behind me are decelerating <laughs> too incredibly much, especially leaving town because the speed limit is already pretty low in that spot until it increases right after the church. Have so. you ever drifted into one of the boulders outside of our building? No. That's not fun. You have? No. <laughs> <laughs> but Ben, didn't your wife? Oh, uh, yeah. Gonna, my <laughs> wife. Speaking of driver's licenses. Christina has some issues with, with rocks. And, and it's it's an ongoing saga. Yeah. So far, I think rocks are winning two to zero. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. So. Good times. Yeah. Well, do you have any, uh, any way that you want to fix driving, Chris? Got any ideas? Just get out of the way. I mean, it's that simple. I mean, I can't tell you how many times lovingly after church we're on our way to south bend to maybe go out to dinner and dorothy's just going slow and <laughs> brother's got to eat well, he's got to take his back pill he's got to get home for his nap otherwise he turns into hulk and uh i gotta get by you don't take it personal i you're going too slow and i'm going at least fast enough at least fast so enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so uh geez just it's okay. Don't take it personal. That's what I want to encourage our, our, our congregation with right now. If mm. one of us passes you, or if you pass me, I'm not upset. Yeah. Well, I'm going to fist bump you on the way back. What would Jesus do? Go the speed limit. Man, I'm paranoid <laughs> about that. I'm not, not, not about the Jesus thing, but I'm paranoid <laughs> about passing somebody from our church. I used to be. I'm I like, used to be. Especially like if it was right after church or something yeah, else yeah. and someone's going like 40 and they should be going 55. I want to fly by them as quick as I can, but then I'm like, uh, I don't have to deal with what happens if I fly by them as quick as I can. Look at them and smile. I guess. I mean, quick. Don't stare. Make it like but. a game, like, haha, I'm passing you because I know you. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know, yeah. One of those things. Make it, yeah. Make it like, personal. Then you just like text me and be like, ha, I just, just passed you. I win. Yeah. <laughs> you texting and driving <laughs> and looking at me when you turn, when you pass me? Oh, that guy. I would rather people drive the speed limit 
and text and drive, then drive under the speed limit. Mm. Oh, whoa. Yeah, oh, there's yeah. a hot take. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, to fix driving, we need to fix stop sign and line placements. We need to have a minimum speed limit enforced. We got to fix that in the end of turn. We need some digital driver's license. I think we've it's come all a long good. way today. I really think so, too. If everyone could get on board with these, just got to get the what, government. Just got to call up the government. G- yep. <laughs> Joe Donnelly? 1 800 government. 1 800. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. yeah, that's who it is. Okay. Uh, get them on the line. Holcomb. That's it. And <laughs> Sorry. Hey, if you know. If you know someone who's like the president of the United States or someone in charge of the Department of Transportation, just send them a link to this podcast. Wait, isn't Mayor Pete the de- Department of Transportation? Yeah, it is Mayor Pete. Yeah, we do have an end. Roundabouts right. for everyone. So if you, know, if you uh, are close to Mayor Pete, and I know someone out there is, make sure they he gets a hold of this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a sponsor. It. Wow, we've, we've really made ground today. <laughs> All right. Chris, you... Uh, are our worship leader at North Liberty Church of Christ. And this month we have introduced a new song into our worship lineup of songs that we sing. Um, the song is called See a Victory by Elevation Worship. So I wanted a chance to talk with you a little bit about the significance of this song. So yeah. kind of why did you why did you pick this song for us to be able to do at our church? Well, uh, kind of thematic with the times we're living in, um, with a lot of uncertainty, going around the world and just every day it's something new. Um, we have a promise in Christ that, that we can lean on, that we can press into. Um, what we sing in the chorus of this song that we introduced a few weeks ago, um, I'm going to see a victory because the battle belongs to you, Lord. Uh, and I think as I was singing that song and learning that song, I found myself thinking about it a couple different ways. First of all, it's a statement of declaration. Um, I'm going to see this victory because God, I know you're on my side, but on the other hand, how many of us don't turn to that just naturally? And it turns into a moment of desperation Mm -hmm. before we actually lean into that promise. I've been around enough people that have this spirit about them that know this truth and you can just feel in the air when you're around them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, they, they just breathe a peace that Christ brings knowing that he's in control. I've also been around enough people to recognize that this isn't something they lean into just naturally. It's something they have to work towards or uh, it has to be brought to light to them, uh, for them to benefit. Um, so I, I kind of wrestled with that as, as we were singing it. Um, one of my favorite lines, and again, this is a little, I don't want to say cliche, because uh, it is biblical, but uh, the bridge of this song, you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. Um, again, Romans eight twenty eight. we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Um, as, as many things as we are experiencing in today's world, uh, that peace that comes about knowing that even in this moment, if something's going what we would might think to be against us or not in our favor, at some point, God is going to bring that to fruition and it's mm-hmm. going to be uh, for our good. Uh, so I just think as, as we're celebrating this song and singing this song out loud uh, on Sunday mornings, I found myself 
singing it during the week too. I hope you guys have as well. Uh, it just is a hope and, and uh, a declaration of a promise that God's given us. He's gonna He's gonna wash out the dark, fill it with light, and and fulfill His promise in the end. Because we know what the book says in the end. We know the end of the story, even through the heartache of today. Yeah, it's. I like what you said about um, just that confidence of of I'm gonna see a victory. Because uh, you're absolutely right. I think of the people um, that I'm around that that it's contagious. Mm-hmm. Um, just that confidence that it's going to be okay, that God's got this, and our role is to trust mm-hmm. that he's fighting the battle. Mm-hmm. Um, the battle's his. And when, when you're around those kinds of people, you're absolutely right. It is contagious, um, and there is a, a different spirit, a, pe- a spirit of peace that, mm-hmm. that you get from that. And so, um, absolutely. You, you can also find yourself in that confidence still wrestling mm-hmm. that's okay <laughs> uh, again god gives us his promise for a reason and we are his kids for a reason i don't know about your kids but my kids like to fight back sometimes <laughs> and they like to say why and i'm just as guilty of it when it comes to god and what he's working on um again i Sometimes it energizes me uh, through the ambiguity of, uh, of what's coming uh, in today's world. Uh, but, um, and I'm going to ask questions. God, why? God, who, who's going to help me through this? Who's going to speak into me? Um, where are we going to end up? How are we going to get there? Um, but then again, when it comes down to it, we can all have that peace knowing that he's going to work together for our good in the end. A lot of the songs that we've been uh, singing recently have this theme of a battle. Um, yeah, that's true. The you know I'm going to see a victory. The battle belongs to you. And then I think we did this another one just this past week. Battle belongs. Uh, yeah, called Battle Belongs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's I'm trying to think of the lyrics off the top of my head. Um, when I fight, I fight on my knees. Um, with my hands lifted high, we have to sing it. Yeah. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. I can't just speak it, no, yeah. especially if it's not on the screen. Um, do you think there is a significance to uh, continuing to pick these kinds of songs? Is that just something that speaks to you personally differently? You know, I can't say I've gone into it intentionally, but there's a lot of writing being done right now in that space. Mm because of the reasons we've already discussed. Mm -hmm. So I think just a combination of just the uh, amount of material that's out there that's being written through these struggles and then just the world we're living in. um, It just really fits our our context and I think a lot of believers' context, whatever church you're at, um, whatever faith body you're a part of, um, there's always this tension, but there's always this promise out there as well. I think it fits really well with what we're talking about in the book of Revelation. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's, Mm. you know, you take our conversation in our last podcast where we talk about how revelation is written for people who are hurting and struggling. Those, those people who are desperate and they're needing to be reminded of who does they worship and who they've made a commitment to. And I think that the, the songs that we've been singing the last few weeks have been a very great fit for what we're also talking about in the context of remembering who is actually in control, remembering mm-hmm. who is actually in authority, remembering who is actually going to win. Um, we get wrapped up in the things in this world that don't go our way. The things that we would say we're losing victories, right? Or that we feel like um, evil is prevailing. Like, like it seems sometimes as we look around that everything we think ought to be happening in the world isn't. Right. Um, and so that's where these songs, I think, are really powerful. But it fits really well with what we're talking about in Book of Revelation, too. Yeah. I really like the song that we've been singing. Um, it's one of those, like, first time 
kind of quiet, sing a little quiet because I don't know the words. Don't mm-hmm. want to mess up and embarrass myself, but every week get a little bit louder. Little Same. Bit louder. Same for me. Same for me. <laughs> Just a little better every week. <laughs> so continue to looking forward to, I continue looking forward to singing that song when we uh, are in our worship service. Glad you do. Every episode of this podcast, we highlight one of the missions that we support as a church. And this week, we want to highlight the Woodburn Christian Children's Home, which is located near Fort Wayne, Indiana. Their mission is to empower children and families on physical, educational, emotional, and spiritual levels. Children ages 6 through 21 live in family-style homes on a large campus at Woodburn and receive individual and family counseling, educational tutoring, nutrition, exercise, and social skill development. Find out more at northliberty.cc missions. So in our Sunday morning services, we're going through uh, the letters to the church in the beginning of the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. And last week we took, the, or, or two weeks ago, our podcast was about the book of Revelation and what it means, how it was intended to be read, um, and hopefully kind of gave a better understanding of, of what that book is and how we can actually grow spiritually from that. Uh, but it got us thinking about there's a lot of different parts of the Bible that, um, honestly, they can be a little bit tricky to understand and interpret. And so we wanted to take time today to give you some practical skills to uh, be able to interpret the Bible on your own, um, give you some some skills to be able to um, to find out what the Bible is actually saying and uh, to grow through that. And so... Um, this is called Principles of Interpretation, which, again, that's a kind of a scary word, and that's the name of a class that Ben and I um, both took in college. So, uh, And Chris... Wait, what? Um, <laughs> you went to college. You went to Ozark, too. I went to the same school you guys went to. Yeah, so... Yeah. I never took that class. <laughs> the, oh, the, the way I look at it is I didn't complete four years there because I had to go home and support a family. I was getting married and all that good stuff. So in my one and a half to two years at Ozark, I just never got to the point where I needed to take principles of right. interpretation. But I'm sure you still gained it's, some great knowledge while you were you were there and probably some stuff that you would uh, even translate into. I can tell you the, the, those two years I was there were invaluable. Seriously, mm-hmm. a whole class on Acts. Mm-hmm. I didn't know before then that you could spend an entire semester talking about that book mm-hmm. and it changed Mm-hmm. the New Testament for yeah. me. Yeah, in absolutely. Principles of Interpretation, I spent an entire semester on six verses in Matthew. So God. <laughs> it's the same thing on six verses in the book of Hebrews. Wow. And that class. So that was, it's not a freshman level class. Um, and it was maybe my favorite class in all of my time at, at Ozark. Um, and what I really liked about was that it was part of a second semester. So one semester you take a class called Principles of Interpretation where you systematically are taught how to go through a text and get to ultimately what we call the author's intended meaning. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cause that's kind of the target is you don't necessarily want to figure out what does this mean for me? You want to figure out what did he mean to say? Mm-hmm. Like what, when they wrote this, when the Holy spirit inspired the author to put this together, what was the purpose of them writing this? That's what we want to learn and know. Mm-hmm. And I loved that semester. That was a full semester of learning those skills. The second semester was fun because that class was called issues of interpretation. Mm -hmm. And that's the ways that everyone screws it up (laughs) and all the different ways that people have problems with interpretation and the ways in which they kind of just get off of what they're supposed to be. Did, did Doug Aldridge teach principles? I took, I took both those classes with Mark Moore when I was there. Okay. Okay. And those are the only classes I had with him. And again, they were, it was phenomenal. Okay. 
Um, so what you were saying, Ben, uh, the author's intended meaning, that's kind of a starting point because mm-hmm. that is the goal of when you're trying to interpret a text, any, any kind of scripture. That's mm-hmm. the goal that we want to kind of have in mind. Is, Th- that's the goal in communication. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think like, like, and this is not just a rule for the Bible, this is just kind of a rule for life. You can make assumptions about what I'm saying to you, but if that's not what I meant, then something's off, right? right? Okay, so like mm-hmm. if you really want to understand just any level of communication between you and your spouse, you and a boss, uh, you and your kids, or you and the Bible, it's best to start with what was intended by what was said. What yeah. was what what was the purpose of that being said, or what what did they actually mean by what they said? And starting in those realities to be able to withdraw meaning. Yep. Uh, and so in order to get to the author's intended meaning, we're going to go through a few steps that you could practically take in order to try to find that on your own. So let's go ahead and dive into those. The first one, um, not necessarily a step, but more of a mindset, is don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, scripture is available and it's in front of you, but it can sometimes be daunting and um don't be afraid to be confused. Don't be afraid to be curious and be um, in wonder. Don't be afraid to get lost and confused um, and ask questions and be willing to ask, what does this mean? What does this mean for me? What, did th- what does this mean for them? Um, ask, ask all of those kinds of questions. That's, I think, the starting point because if you're not asking questions, I think you're, you might not be reading with the full, um, the full uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe intent. Um, you're not, you're not reading, uh, as closely as maybe we could be if we're not asking questions. And so I think that's a great first place to start. You you can't learn something if you aren't asking questions, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's, that's core to it all. And within that class, that was one of the first things that we were taught to do. And it was, you take out a, a pen and you take out a piece of paper and you just start writing down observations. You start writing down questions. You, you look at everything and you, and you, Force yourself, if you think you can come up with five questions over these six verses, then you should come up with 15. Mm-hmm. Like make yourself come up with mm-hmm. questions because that some of that creativity, some of that curiosity will kind of lead to something else and lead to something else and leads to something else. And then suddenly you're finding some sort of richness from this passage that otherwise you wouldn't have thought of. And you never know where some of those questions are going to take you because um, you could ask, you, you could pretend to ask a question over something you think you understand. Like, what does this word mean? Or why did he say it this way? Even though, even if you think you might have an understanding, uh, but then you dig in and you find out some different things about that word. I think of your message this past week, Ben, and I think this will probably come up a little bit later too. Um, but that phrase, be watchful. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I could read that and understand, yeah, it's just telling me to be watchful. I don't have any questions there. Yeah. But if I ask, why did he say it that way? Mm-hmm then I'm going to find out a whole lot more about what he actually meant when he said that. There's a lot yeah. more that word that you used, richness, in that. Well, it's, again, the, the text says wake up, but then you look at what the actual wording, and it says show yourself watchful. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit different. And then, yeah, you. then that's the thing. You If you start by asking questions and digging deeper, you find things that you wouldn't have anticipated otherwise. Yeah. And And here's the thing. God is not afraid of questions. God is not afraid of your questions. There is no question that is too big. There's no question that is too small. Um, God desires a relationship with you, and if questions are what builds that relationship, then ask the questions. Um, questions are how you get to know somebody. I mean, if you go on a date, the first date with somebody, you're asking questions. You're asking what they like, what you know, all of those kinds of things. Uh, when you approach Scripture, be willing to ask those questions because you're getting to know our God and our Savior and uh, yourself through that. And so. 
be be willing to ask questions. The second thing that sticks out for me when it comes to this, these steps in this process is context. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember a phrase in college, they say context is king. Even I knew that one. There we go. Look at yeah. that, Chris. My, my uh, pr- principles of inter professor told me Jesus, or, or context is not king. Uh, he said Jesus is king, but context is really, really important. <laughs> <laughs> My professor didn't say that. So anyways, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, context context is huge, all right? Because um, you, and and I remember our professor pulled stuff out of context, all right? Like he read three different verses from three different parts of the Bible and he makes, he, he manipulated those verses to make it to where Christ told us to all go hang ourselves, all right? And so like, that doesn't make sense. That's not what he would do. Okay, so the context of the things that you read means something, all right? And so you could have a sentence that says one thing, but in a larger context of the paragraph. And so kind of what you do within context is you start with where it's at and you just kind of slowly work your way out. And so you want to look at the paragraph. You want to look at the entire section of of scripture. You want to look at the chapter. You want to look at the entire book because genre matters. Like you're not going to read the book of Revelation the same that you would the book of Psalms, mm-hmm. that's not the same. You're not going to look at Genesis and Exodus, which are historical books, the same as you would Ezekiel and Daniel, which are more prophetic books. Like that, That's different. Yeah. And so you need to know the genre of what it is. Um, look into the, the fuller context, even within this series, as we've been talking about Revelation, we're trying to put chapters two and three in context of the entire book because – the whole book is this prophetic story of something that's that's happening and, and this incredible battle and this vision that John is receiving. But here we have these direct letters from Jesus to the churches. And so why? Why do those why are these letters here? Why are they written in this spot? Why are they recorded in this spot? And what does that have to do with the fuller context of what Revelation is? Yeah. All of that helps you understand and interpret what the actual section is that you're reading. Right. So I would say context first. I would say when you're looking at context, an important thing is what kind of book are you reading? Is it poetry? Is it history? Is it a letter? Um, is it you know what is it? What's the book that you're reading? And and you can look probably in the back of your Bible. Maybe there might be a list of of the different categories that there are, or just a quick Google search. But that's mm-hmm. a that's a quick thing. And who wrote the Bible? And why they wrote the Bible. You can find those kinds of information pretty quickly with a Google search. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can dive deeper if you want, if you start looking into commentaries and stuff like that. But but you, you can find at least base level information, yeah. uh, what kind of book it is, who wrote it, when it was written, and why it was written. You, you can find that pretty readily available. And that stuff is going to change the way that mm-hmm. you read it. Mm-hmm. But then also, like you said, you can't just read one verse and assume that you know what it means. There are too many verses out there that we have taken way out of context um, that, I mean, out of context, there's that phrase, um, because we haven't looked at the the surrounding verses. So an example would be uh, Philippians 4.13, right? Athletes throw that verse around like it's protein powder. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But that's not what Paul was trying to say with it like it's a great verse it's true like if you say you know i can do all things through christ who strengthens me that's a true verse you can do all things has nothing to do with lifting weights paul was not (laughs) did not care how much weight you could lift yeah yeah. Yeah. (laughs) he was he was talking about being content through difficult times Mm -hmm. um i can make it i can be content even though i'm sitting in prison Mm -hmm. because christ has given me strength Mm -hmm. Uh, that's what that verse means. And, and when you put that in context, wow, that's a powerful verse. Um, 
teaching you contentment. When you take that out of context, it's just about you know, running fast. <laughs> Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Mm-hmm. Every graduation, every graduate's yep. favorite verse. Yep. Uh, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, and plans to give you a future. Yeah. yeah. So I've heard, Ben, I've heard your opinion on that verse before. Well, he didn't it's say not, it to you. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. it's, unless you're about to go into captivity, yeah. he's not talking to you. <laughs> yeah, he's not talking to you. And it's not an awful verse. It's and not. it's a wonderful, you know, we talked about declarations earlier with this song. I think it's a wonderful thing to pray and to declare and to and to say, but mm-hmm. that's that's not a promise that's been made to me. Mm-hmm. That was a specific verse to a specific people. There's a context there that mm-hmm. communicates who that is. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's a bad thing for me to want for myself as well, right? right, and, right. And to say, but but he's not made that same promise to me. It, it matters who writes it. Like I, when we talk about principles of interpretation, my passage that I worked on was out of the book of Hebrews, and that's difficult because we don't know who wrote that book, mm-hmm. and so that that hurts a little bit in interpretation because then we struggle a little bit of why they would be saying what they're saying. That's a piece that's missing. Most of the Bible, though, we know those things. We know we know what Paul writes. We know what Peter writes. We know the Gospels and why they were written. Each of them, why they were each written, and the why, the way that they were written, and who they were written to. Those are important contexts. Knowing who the who the readers are, uh, who who um, who who wrote it, who the readers are, what was happening when it was written, like the day that it was written is important. All that stuff gives us context and an understanding. And and some of that now we're moving out of the context of like a literary context. We're moving into historical context, which is so significant. And of all the sermon series I think I've ever preached, that's probably playing more of a role right now than anything I've ever done. And the book of Revelation here is we're looking at these different cities and you're hearing this every single week as I start telling history stories of these random cities that I don't know this stuff. Like this is me studying and learning these mm-hmm. things and finding out these little details and it totally makes, in my mind, these letters come alive because Jesus isn't just using some sort of figurative speech when he tells them to wake up. He's saying something that means something to them, right? Like if you're going to write a letter to us, he might say, God, country, no, it's just God. <laughs> right? like, like, and, and we would hear that and be like, oh, he's talking about Notre, Notre Dame. Dame. But yeah. no, he's really talking about him and what's most yeah. important, right? Like, you know what I mean? Some of that phrasing that would just be natural for us to pick up, we miss because that's not us. Right. So you need to know who it is, who, who they're writing to, all those kinds of pieces of context, the historical, the literary. Mm-hmm. It really makes, uh, th- there's times when it really makes that stuff come along. Well, and when you talk about author's intended meaning, there are, like you said, Jeremiah 29, uh, 11 was not written to me, but that doesn't mean there's nothing for me to gain from mm-hmm. it. Um, same thing with looking through the book of Leviticus. Those laws were not mm-hmm. written to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I can understand the author's intended meaning, if I can understand why God created some of these rules, then that changes the way that I read that book and the, the way that I live my life. Mm-hmm. Um, God did not, he, God's command for me is not to uh, abstain from eating crabs. And um, pigs is not that is not my calling on my life. Yeah. Nope. dear Lord, no. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, or or wearing clothing with with different blends. Like those are all laws that are in Leviticus. But we got to look. What's the into- the author's intended meaning? Why did God create those rules for them? What was that purpose? And what does that say about who God is? And because of that, what does that say about who I am? Because of God, Hebrews in the New Testament, it's written to Hebrews. It's written to Jewish people. <laughs> who left Judaism to be followers of Jesus and now life is hard and they're thinking about going back. 
and they feel like, well, it's the same God. Maybe we can pass off the Jesus stuff and just go back and still be in a good relationship with God. And that's what they're experiencing. And that's why when you read through the book, one of the most significant words is better. You see it over Mm -hmm. and over and over again through the book. Uh, One of the main concepts is superior, that if you're going to walk away from Jesus, you're going to something that's, that's insufficient. You're going to something that's worse. Jesus is better, even though you're facing persecution, even though it's hard. That's not my world. I didn't leave Judaism. I'm not a Hebrew. I'm not experiencing those things. But that that book has so much value to me because I know I understand wanting to give up. I understand wanting to quit on Jesus for all sorts of other reasons. And that book is valuable to me because it's a reminder of no, this is better than anything else that we have. All right. So we've given you two steps so far for uh, trying to interpret scripture a little bit better and. Um, We're going to pick up some more steps at the next episode of the Other Six Podcast. Um, So there's there's more coming, more steps, crucial steps that you can use to help interpret Scripture a little bit better. But we're going to take a break from that so that we can go ahead and do uh, some awesome trivia that I've prepared for us at the end of this one. Uh, So I have prepared for us. Oh, so Chris is here instead of Patrick. Does that mean Chris's points go to Patrick or does Chris start new? Does Chris get his own? Oh, if Chris wins, it means he gets to come back. Okay. okay. All right. Well, we'll invite you back next time if you win. So. Patrick and Chris can be one. I don't know. <laughs> is it, you got a team going on here? Patrick. <laughs> is he is he on phone a friend? You got him yeah. like LinkedIn over there? That's a good idea. We should bring him in. You should be able to call him if you need, if you yeah. have a question on one of these. Let's see if, let's see if we'll pick let's up. Let's see how this happens. <laughs> it's October. Halloween's coming up. I love Halloween. I love celebrating Halloween. We've got Trunk or Treat coming up at the end of this month, and so we're going to ask some Halloween trivia questions. Are you guys ready? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love Halloween. Here comes Halloween. Right. Here comes Halloween. Okay. The studio that made the original Halloween movie featuring the villain Michael Myers was on a small budget. Have you guys seen this movie? Yes. No. Oh, boy. Uh, so they made his famous white mask. Do you know what character I'm talking about, Ben? Yes. Okay. They made his famous white mask by spray painting the cheapest mask that they could find. Oh. Which celebrity's face is on this mask? Is it A, John Travolta, B, William Shatner, C, Kevin Bacon, or D, Elvis Presley? So it was a mask of, it a, was of something. Of a celebrity. They, they went to like a Halloween store. It's not a hockey mask. No. I don't know. That's Jason. I mean, I always assumed it was a hockey mask too. No, the the hockey I, mean, mask I know Jason too. I know hockey that there's, yeah, Jason. I knew that there's a difference. I know the Michael Myers. I know what it is. I know what it looks like. I'm just, for some reason, that's always. Does the hair go with the mask? Because uh, he got some goofy hair. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Is that I, part of the clue? I thought that was part of his, part of his outfit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So John Travolta. It's uh, John Travolta, <laughs> William Shatner, Kevin Bacon, or Elvis Presley. Kevin Bacon's too young. First of all. Um, John Travolta's pretty young too for that time. Although what seventies? Wasn't it seventy eight, seventy nine? Came out in seventy eight. Seventy eight. So Travolta Greece was big. Greece was a thing, right? I'm um, gonna go Shatner. I'm gonna go D. What was D? Elvis. Elvis. Yeah. Okay. The correct answer is William Shatner. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Good one, Ben. Uh, Travolta um, and Bacon were both huge in seventy. I got those from looking at the <laughs> top like movies that. that were grossing that year. Okay. Um, and then Elvis was not a top movie grossing. In he had died just recently. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Disney's Hocus Pocus is a family fra- favorite Halloween comedy. Not my family. But not it was originally. <laughs> Never seen it. A family 
I bet you that if this is all about movies, I bet you I've not seen a single one it's of not, them. It's okay, not. Okay, all right. Okay. Uh, but Hocus Pocus was originally planned to be a horror film under a different name. What was the original title of this movie supposed to be? Is it Halloween House, Twisted Sisters, Blood Witches, or Wives' Tale? The answer is C, Blood Witches. All right, well, then I'll take Twisted Sisters because it's fun. Yeah, the answer was Halloween House. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't either. <laughs> I'm pretty, pretty confident, though. No, I have. I have. It's been years, no, but it's not one of those I have to go back to. Some people are all about it. Glenn Close. I don't like it, I but know. I watch it. I don't know. Like like Glenn Far Away. <laughs> <laughs> Next. Who was the first? Uh, who was the first lady? I should say. Who was the first first lady? to decorate the White House for Halloween. Was it uh, Jacqueline Kennedy, Patricia Nixon, Mamie Eisenhower, or Betty Ford? That Betty. <laughs> uh, for some reason, <laughs> I'm thinking Betty Ford was the one to, uh, to bring it up to, no, it wasn't up right. to I'm gonna snuff. Go, I'm going to Jackie O. Uh, the correct answer was Mamie Eisenhower. Hmm. So 1-0, Ben. I thought the Fords were like... Uh, no, I'm confusing them with the Carters. Carters, yeah. They're like Sunday school teachers. They're yeah, not yeah, decorating yeah, yeah. nothing uh, for Halloween. But <laughs> Betty. Some Halloween traditions stemmed from ancient Roman traditions to mm -hmm. honor the goddess Pomona. What was Pomona said to be the goddess of? Was it rain and snow, fish and birds, luck and fortune, or fruit and trees? Read those again. I was trying to think in my head about... What Pomona. was Pomona said to be the goddess of? Rain and snow, fish and birds, luck and fortune, or fruit and trees? I'm going to go see luck and fortune. You're right, but for parody's sake, I'm going to say B. Correct answer is D. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting that. We are so in tune with we, each other, but not this no, trivia no. at all. Nope. So you said you said B. I right? said B as in boy. Yeah, I was wrong. It was D as in did not get that one right. So, <laughs> so Ben has one point. There we go. And Patrick and I have zero. Yeah. So fruit and trees, and one of the traditions uh, is bobbing for apples is said to be honoring Tree, the goddess Pomona. Okay. Okay. Huh. Okay. Which pope moved the celebration of All Saints Day to coincide with All Hallows Eve? Was it Betty? Pope? <laughs> Betty Pope. Pope Betty. Was it? <laughs> yeah. Pope Gregory the Third, Pope Boniface the Fourth, Pope Leo the Tenth, or Pope Julius the Third? <laughs> Good. Oh my gosh. Uh, Gregory Boniface, Leo, or Julius? The answer is B. Boniface. <laughs> yes. Dang, that's what I was gonna say. So I'll go C. Whatever it was. The correct answer was A, Pope <laughs> Gregory the Third. <laughs> yeah. yep. uh, here's a little extra tidbit. It wasn't until a century later that Pope Gregory the Fourth ordered these to be recognized as Catholic holidays. Hmm. That was in the year 18... All Saints Day is considered All like Saints it's Day. required. It was so in the year 1857. Or no, yes. sorry, 857. That's November 1st, isn't it? Uh, so they coincided... Yeah, All Hallows Eve. All, they did All Hallows Tide, which is a three-day... Starting with All Hallows Eve on the 31st, mm -hmm. All, Saints Day all Saints Day on the November 1st, and yeah. All Souls Day on November 2nd. Yep. Uh, so all three of those became a Catholic holiday. Excellent. 1857. 1-0 still. Sorry. 
857. I keep saying 18. Eight, That's okay. 857. Uh, classic horror film Psycho was the first American film to ever show what on screen? Was it bare feet, a personal computer, toilet, or a live bird? That movie was made in the 70s as well? Or is that older than that? I think it's older than that. Let me look it up. Because I'll tell you, I have never seen the movie. But 1960. Nope. 1960. Wow. So, I mean, those were when computers were the size of houses, yeah. right? Um, but I don't remember anything in the movie that I haven't seen <laughs> that would resemble a house with a computer. Um, so I'm going to go with computer. I'm going to go against go the grain. Toilet. The correct answer is C, a toilet. Oh, nice. Yeah. I was so. thinking about like, uh, um, what is it? Uh, I Love Lucy and how Hearn and Ricky couldn't even sleep in the same bed because that was too ris- risque. That's true. So That's true. <laughs> they were married, but their beds were separate. Well, kind of a deal. I was, I was thinking that would probably be that type of an issue. Your thinking uh, was yeah. on, the, on the right track. Enough for another point. Yeah. Look at that. I doubled. Not too late. You I doubled my production. We're coming back, Patrick. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Uh, CandyStore.com put out a list of every state's favorite Halloween candy based oh, on sales. Oh, gosh. What is Indiana's favorite candy for candy Halloween? Candy corn. Candy. Were you going to say that? Yeah. The, I'm, uh, I don't think it's the right answer, but I'm saying it because it's Indiana and it's corn. corn and it's horrible and we don't like <laughs> anything good. I love candy corn. It's a good corn. guess. Not one of the options. Okay. okay. Also, Sorry. I love candy corn. I would need to look at the map again, but I think that is not number one in any state. It is number three on almost every state. Wow. I, I love candy corn. corn. I think it's great. Oh, okay. It's caramel, uh, so I, that's my flavor. Man. Here are your options. Okay. Is it uh, M&M's, Sour Patch Kids, Starbursts, or Reese's Peanut Butter Cups? What is Indiana's favorite Halloween candy? Chris's favorite Halloween candy is uh, anything peanut butter cup, but not the traditional shape. It's got to be a Christmas tree. It's got to be an Easter egg. It's got to be a pumpkin in this case. I feel the complete opposite. I don't like the different Whoa. shapes. I like them in the little cups. I think you're in the minority. I think, I it, really I think it's too much peanut butter in the other shapes. If you could pull this somehow. Man, I would love to find out. Let's yeah, go. Let's take this another level yeah. um, next week. I'm sure someone's done a stuff. Um, so the answer in this case, if you could repeat, M&M's, Sour Patch Kids, Starbursts, or Reese's Peanut Butter Cups? I'm going to go with D, although I, I kind of feel like it might be A. I'm going B because I'm mm. thinking of my kids, of those four options. I think they would go Sour Patch Kids. Mm. I love Sour Patch Kids. So I'm good. saying B. The correct answer is B, Sour Patch oh. Kids. <laughs> is there a point when we consider this a skunk? <laughs> like it's 3-0. Ben is yeah, up but there's on been Patrick like 12, and I. There's been 12 questions. <laughs> <laughs> We're almost at the end. Patrick right. hasn't given us any help. All right. Uh, lemon heads <laughs> is the favorite candy of one state, and it is not even in the top three of any of the other 49. What state loves their lemon heads? My grandpa, my great grandpa Quint, loved lemon heads. And... He has since passed on, but he was old when I was little, mm-hmm. and he liked lemon heads. So I'm thinking Florida, where a <laughs> good exactly chunk where I was of going. Folks, that would have been my guess. Right, well, is my that one of the choices? Are Louisiana, New Hampshire, Alaska, or Florida? All right. I, Florida. I called it. I'm going with yeah, Florida. Go for it. That's what I would have guessed. So yeah. I'll go Alaska, the complete opposite of it. <laughs> that, that is the opposite, and both of them are wrong. The answer is Louisiana. 
it was somewhere in the south. Yeah, I knew that. That's interesting. Sitting on the porch, popping Pop lemon, lemon heads. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Louisiana is an interesting place. They put lemon in a lot of stuff, yeah, so maybe yeah. that, I guess that makes sense. Okay. I should have thought that one through. All right. This one is going to be a closest without going over. Uh, and, Price is right. Uh, <laughs> Chris, if you can get it within, um, I'm not going to say that. Because it might give you okay. a hint. I'll tell you if you're close enough, I'm going to give you two points okay. on this one. How many pounds of candy corn are produced every year? About one pound too many. Because <laughs> <laughs> it'd be nasty. It's gross, it's people. One pound? Yeah. 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 I mean, anyway. If it's more than one pound, it's too much. Yeah, yeah. Somebody can eat it. Not me. Me. Uh, how I'll many pounds? Um, I will say the following number. With confidence. 1.2 tons. Okay. Which is 2,400. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's no math at Ozark either. 2,400 pounds is what you get. I think that's way too low. I'm going to say it's going to be like a... 2,500 pounds. It's got to be like a million pounds of candy corn. Okay. Your guess is 1 million pounds of candy corn? Yes. Chris, you were not close enough. Oh. The answer is 35 million pounds of candy corn. Gosh. Yeah. Who are these people eating millions <laughs> of pounds of that nastiness? Laying in bathtubs full of candy corn. Gosh, like like a, like a Scrooge McDuck? Yeah, just Instead of jumping into coin, he just jumps into, yeah. jumps into candy corn. Uh, I wonder if there is some research to show how much of that doesn't get eaten. Because yeah, be. <laughs> I know as much as I like candy corn, yeah. there's always candy corn in our house that gets thrown away. Yep. Candy, period. I don't, we don't need any corn. We had some in our house recently, and Benton tried to make a corn cob out of it. Did you know you can do that? Oh, like I've you seen can that. kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. glue it around together and make a hmm. like an actual corn cob. Fun. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> Ben got four points. Is that Jeez. right? And Chris got zero. Man. Uh, man. So I do have this was supposed to be a tiebreaker, but I'm going to give Chris one last shot. Ben, you don't even get to answer this one. That's fine. Oh, gosh. If you can get this one within. A hundred million. <laughs> <laughs> then right. I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you five points, Chris. Okay? Hey, Patrick, Whoa, I, wow. I, I think they want me back next How week. How many pieces of candy corn is in 35 million pounds? First of all, why, why is there so much trivia about the worst candy <laughs> outside of circus peanuts? I don't know. Anyway. Can you repeat the question real how quick many, for all of us? How many pieces of candy corn 35 is in million. 35 million pounds? They are an ounce a piece. <laughs> and that math comes out to be the following answer in which I am confident. <laughs> 10 billion pieces. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's not math, but <laughs> according to according to your math, it would have been five hundred and sixty million pieces. Okay, if if each piece is an ounce, which I don't think it is. I think it's. I'll say I think it's probably at least twice that, if not three. So I think your number's probably not way off. Okay. Uh, I let's let's split the difference though. I would guess five billion. You told me I couldn't guess. I'd say five billion. Okay. Well, uh, you were closer, but you went over. 
Okay. And you were not within 100 million. The answer Dang. is 9 billion pieces. I mean, that is you were an absurd that number. That's pretty impressive for At, you to just pick a number up and be that close. It's an absurd number, and it's an absurd candy. <laughs> <laughs> so fitting. Yes. Yeah. Fitting. Yeah. And so good. So in a couple of weeks, Ben is going to have some, uh, some game for us, and we will continue our conversation on principles of interpretation and how we can uh, continue reading from the Bible. I do real quick want to throw out a couple book resources for anyone who's interested on more in this topic. Um, I want to throw out the book called Eat This Book by Eugene Peterson um, and uh, Blue Parakeet by Scott McKnight. Both of those books are geared towards helping you read the Bible. Uh, Eat This Book is more of a um, practice on spiritual reading and Blue Parakeet is looking at how you fit into the story of Scripture. So if you're interested in finding out more and, and growing in your knowledge of how to read the Bible, I would recommend those two books. Uh, so look forward to our conversation in a couple weeks as we continue talking about how to read the Bible. Uh, thank you, Ben. Yep. <laughs> thank you, Chris. Yep. And my name is Preston and we'll see you guys in a couple weeks. Oh, God.